I'm Chad Reed. I'm Hillary Langer. I'm Gil Jenkins. And this is Climate Positive. Everything has a risk and opportunity and a cost. And I think you have to take a step back and just say, okay, you know, what's the risk to our business? What would be the fines? What would be the reputational damage? And have that dialogue maybe in a risk scenario workshop and say, okay, how do we think about what would happen if we were to have some issues happen in different states or countries? With the proliferation of sometimes conflicting standards for sustainability and impact reporting, companies need trusted partners to help them define and measure sustainability metrics that are not only material to their businesses and stakeholders, but that also generate real value. To this end, Workiva, a global software-as-a-service platform, has developed products that help companies advance their sustainability goals. In this episode, Chad Reed sits down with Mandy McReynolds, VP of Global Environment, Social, and Governance at Workiva, and the host of ESG Talk podcast. Chad and Mandy discuss the perceptions of company executives and sustainability practitioners, the emerging role of AI in sustainability reporting, and the evolving nomenclature surrounding efforts to generate and report sustainable impact. Mandy, thank you so much for joining us today. It's a real pleasure to have you. So glad to be with you. This is going to be a lot of fun, Chad. Excellent. Well, first, I want to start with your background. Tell us a bit about where you grew up and your early career. Sure. When I started out my career, I was deep in the S discipline, the social discipline. So I've had the privilege to work in environment, social governance across four different industries, looking at government, nonprofit to higher education. Then I served at a Fortune 500 financial service firm, multinational firm, to technology today with Workiva. And it really leveraged this opportunity for me to see how environment, social, and governance transcends different industries. Some challenges are the same. Some challenges are different. But more often than not, in all those roles and all those experiences, it was really about the ability to see how societal impact or environment impact could benefit business results for the company. And oftentimes, CEOs and organizations would bring me in to work and operate in that way. And I could see how they played off of each other for mutual benefit and mutual impact. And so that's really why my career path had followed and that piece, I often joke I was good at different parts of the S discipline with influence of environment. And one lucky day, our CEO asked me to chair environment, social and governance task force for the Fortune 500 company. And I was very thankful for that work with the CEO and our chief legal officer, chief marketing officer and others. So we were early days before a lot of people had ESG on their radar. But we learned a lot and a lot through exploration. And also, I tell people very candidly, you know, I have a notebook of 17 failures that I made or lessons learned that I made from those early days. And that's really leveraged to where I am today working for Rakiva. I have the privilege to work with our executive board team on implementing environment, social and governance across our business, as well as working with our thousands of customers in the world around how they bring transparency and accuracy to data and reporting for it. As you alluded to, you're now the VP of Global Environment, Social, and Governance at Workiva. Tell us kind of more specifically, what does that entail, both you know broadly and on a, on a day-to-day basis? 
Sure. I, I tell individuals, I know we've had this conversation before that, you know, you have a really amazing job when you work for a company where you work with the board and you work with your executive team identifying what are the business value drivers for environment social governance. And so for us, we really looked at it from our growth strategy. It's a big part of our growth strategy as an organization. It's a huge part of how we show up in our brand and our responsible brand. It's how we grow in our investor capital. And that's also how we model the way as global compliance and risk and regulatory becomes a pressure for us as a global company. And so from there, we identified four key ASG targets in innovation, people, philanthropy, as well as environment that would drive that mutual value forward for our business. I also get to serve as a subject matter expert. So I'm actually a person in the job who works with the world's smartest engineers and research and development uh, department on how they build ESG reporting product for customers who are global and tackling this complex land that need transparency and accuracy, auditability, data and reporting that have the same financial rigor that you would have for non-financial rigor. And so oftentimes I tell people, our team is very innovative. We're beta one testers. We're constantly telling the problems to our product team. Like, how do we make this easier? How do we, how do we make pulse checking materiality like a reality for the world? And it's fun to be able to give back to the profession in that way. Absolutely. So it seems as if, you know, value creation is very much tied to Orkiva's commitment to ESG and sustainability. Tell us a little bit more about your ESG sustainability related product offerings. You talked a little bit there, but you guess tell us a little bit, what exactly are you providing companies that help them demonstrate and generate that value? So our ESG reporting solution really takes things from what I call data all the way to disclosure. So it is the end-to-end platform that puts all your data into one location. So I'll make it down like super simple for individuals. Think about all the places that your data exists as our own company. It might exist in Concur, which is our purchasing area, our travel area of booking. It might exist in Workday. And so you're able to pull all of that in and then even more, really through our our program. It's designed where you can get all your subject matter expertise to pull in their data, have it reviewed, have the process that you need. You're not doing it on email and Slack. I don't know about you, but you can't pass an audit when you're like living through, well, let me go find the Slack that that person sent me, the, the information. So it's really pulling it all together so that it can be audited, assured, and trusted just as you would your financial data and ultimately to the reporting platform. So whether you report in an HTML format or you report in a Word document. So the end-to-end platform for data and reporting and disclosure. Got it. So let's turn to the various ESG sustainability reporting regimes. As you know, (laughs) there are so many We'll touch on just a few of them and more the the discussion how they interplay, right? So obviously there are the voluntary standards at the global level. There's a global reporting initiative or GRI, International Sustainability Standards Board or ISSB, which was recently formed in the last year or so, also recently released its global reporting standards. And as you know, there are publicly mandated or compliance standards, both in Europe, the Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive or CSRD, as well as potentially in the U.S., I hope this podcast can be released before the SEC comes out with its 
finalized mandatory climate disclosure rule, which we do expect, at least the last I heard, this month in, in October. So how should professionals in the SG space, other executives in the company, think about these, and sometimes overlapping, maybe at times conflicting, reporting regimes and how they're being rolled out and refined? Yeah, you know, I'm I'm an optimist, so I always like to start with hope first than <laughs> doom. I think one of the things that I, I really encourage financial professionals and sustainability professionals or risk professionals to think about as you're dealing with this global landscape, remember the fact that we do tax, right? Tax has global agreement of some coin. It operates differently by country. And guess what? It operates differently by state and federal. So we have in our toolkit the resiliency and the know-how how to operate. But it does take really aligning in what I'm seeing across the board with, with colleagues, your tech, your talent, and potentially consultants or advisors or teachers to help you in the areas where, where you need it. So really how people are approaching that landscape is taking those three levers and saying, how do I get ready now for transformation? Because it's already happening. And I, I was talking to my own team, like we're preparing for all this global and, and state and federal regulation. And we were laughing. I was like, 2025 is like the Super Bowl, right? <laughs> like we all need to be ready for the Super Bowl because that's when a lot of these regulations are going to start to roll. And oh, guess what? Limited assurance is, is coming in 2026 for a lot of groups. So we have to be ready now. You don't just show up to the Super Bowl in 2025. And we're mapping out what does the next three years look like so that our team is fit and ready to meet the demands of regulation that are coming. And that means we may pull the lever of technology. It may mean we've got to invest more in staff. We were talking about cross-functional training, how we level up all these teams together internally. How do we look at then maybe the lever of a, of a teacher or consultant to come in? So I think the hope is one, you got, you know, hey, we've done this before, everyone. Let's keep knowing that we have the power to do it again. And two, look at the different levers you have and start getting fit now. Yeah, that's great. But in the U.S. specifically, where it's interesting climate here around ESG and sustainability, as you know, we're seeing different states issue at times conflicting regulations. Some mandate, as one state recently did, certain climate emissions reporting, others discourage it at best. What would you say to U.S. companies that are navigating this increasingly challenging and complex landscape? Yeah, I always look at the financial service lens that we have long ago, different regulations when it came to investment practices across different states. And again, it's nothing new. So let's take a step back and look at how you can navigate. The first navigation you can is participate. You know, I'm really proud of our CFO, Jill, and myself, we're really active in how those state policies with other CEOs are coming together. And we're not doing it loud or bold. You know, it's it's coming together and saying, how can this policy be shaped that we still have some capital market freedom and flexibility per industry? And oh, by the way, if we're going to choose to be different from the federal standard or be different from the international standard, which you may in the states you operate in and the associations you partner in, then let's be really clear what we mean by the definition. Because in absence of definition at the state level, you may end up having more damage done to the capital market of the economy of our state. 
So how do we do that and move forward? So I really encourage people to participate in the process, make sure that your voice is heard, that you can shine in regulatory areas by ensuring that your team is ready, but that you're participating. The second piece that I would say is it's really important to come back to the business value purpose of your organization. If you're reporting to report transparency for transparency's sake, that was a great line from one of our customers, Cognizant, at, a, at an Amplify session. She's like, then you're going to chase everything. But if you come back to what is essential to your business and you engage in the process that way, then there's a lot more understanding of how this is going to impact the capital markets in your organization. So everything has a risk and opportunity and a cost. And I think you have to take a step back and just say, okay, you know, what's the risk to our business? So what would be the fines? Does that outweigh? What would be the reputational damage? Sit down with your cross-functional finance risk sustainability team and, and have that dialogue maybe in a risk scenario workshop and say, okay, how do we think about both from a reputational damage to a financial damage would happen if we were to have some issues happen in different states or countries? Climate Positive is produced by Hassi, a leading climate investment firm that actively partners with clients to deploy real assets that facilitate the energy transition. To learn more, please visit Hassi.com. Moving a bit to ESG practitioners and, and the executives that they work for, you recently conducted your second annual ESG practitioner survey, and you polled over 900 professionals in the field across globally, across North America, Europe, Asia. Why does Workiva first conduct this annual survey? And then what are the key takeaways that you got from it? Yeah, I am so proud of the team, you know, that they do this because this is such a rich data set that is missing and was missing in the market several years ago. Because you would have all these random surveys. And I don't know about you, it was like, okay, is that person a student? Are they interested in ESG? Like, who takes these surveys? And we realized <laughs> that there wasn't a dedicated survey for people like you and myself who are true practitioners in the field. And you could live in finance. You could live in sustainability. You could live in different parts of the business. But is 50% or more of your job dedicated to ESG strategy and reporting? And that's what made this survey so unique, as well as the depth of what you just talked about, the industry markets and the global market, to help compare and contrast what we can learn from this evolving field. The first survey showed us that actually most people say, how long has ESG reporting been around? People are like, Europe, they've been doing it for over a decade. Didn't matter. Actually, wherever you were in the world, most companies said they were on a three-year or less journey with environment, social governance. And so they almost brought comfort to the field that like, hey, you're not alone. Now, interesting enough, fast forward one year, what are some things that we saw that have changed? Number one, it's getting complex. You already kind of addressed that. 74% of our respondents expected to be required to comply with two or more global regulations. So think about it, two or more global regulations. So to think that most of us in the industry are only gonna have to comply to one, that's really not the reality of the global landscape, whether you're in the US or whether you're in APEC or Europe. This one, I think you would find interesting. You and I were just talking earlier about CFO and CEO engagement. There's a disconnect between executives and the managers doing the work around rigor. And I thought that part was one of the more surprising statistics. 62% of executives 
strongly agree that their company applies the same due diligence to ESG reporting as they do to financial reporting. But the managers say half that, almost half that, 32% say it's the same rigor. People can't see us, but you're laughing as well. Yeah, that's not encouraging. That's not, that's a great not encouraging that there's that disconnect. But I look at that as really good C-suite engagement, understanding the strategy level has been elevated. It took us 100 years to get financial reporting right. And guess what? In 2008, we didn't get it right. So I see this as a huge opportunity and a wake-up call for managers and mid-level managers and the new role of the ESG controllership to start to step up and say, hey, we've got work to do as we head to the Super Bowl moment of 2025. And it's our opportunity to give it the playbook it needs because guess what? We didn't get it right in 2008 and we've got to get it right as we head towards larger global stock takes of like 2030, 2050. So those are the interesting findings to me is the complexity is growing and then we're seeing the others. And there's obviously innovation is key. 97% think innovation is going to happen. And practitioners really believe they're starting to drive business value. And that number has shot up to 90% over what it was the year before. And so that part is encouraging to me is even though we're working on the rigor, we're finding the value for the business. Absolutely. And that ensures the sustainability of ESG professionals, I'm sure. Now, I want to move to you. You were Kiva. You've talked a lot about how can you apply generative AI to ESG and sustainability. And I'll be honest, this is not a topic that I thought about almost at all before we recently connected, reconnected again. So walk us through the domains where you believe AI can complement human efforts to drive both stronger ESG or sustainability reporting and performance. Yeah. So you and I, I talked to a lot about it being like small offices, right? Like offices of one, offices of fun, or like very, you know, part-time teams, cross-functional teams. And this is where I get super excited about generative AI. Generative AI has been around in the ESG space, and you would know it from like the asset management space, right? We use different types of AI to crawl for language, call through reporting, build our portfolios. That's been around. What's new is how we think about it as taking away the vacuum task, the task that suck the time away from people like you and myself and our, and our colleagues, where let's say you're working on a policy, right? Plugging in, how should Workiva think about a travel policy in reflection of the upcoming SEC regulation? Right. And then that intuitive AI that's in a nice, secure platform and that's in a nice can begin to generate things that are based off of founding evidence. One thing my team did was they're playing with right now with generative AI is we have our ESG report. Well, how many times do you have to go out and, you know, repost minute notes in a more consensus executive summary? More often than I like, for sure. More often than you would like, right? Vacuum task. How often do you have to try to write an article for internal employees? Mm. Yeah. So what if you already had your shared report and you could take it and we, and this is what we did, we copied it, put it into an intuitive generative AI for ESG. And then we see this incredible result of language. We could adapt the tone to be a more casual tone, but it's still audited and it's still assured and it's still trusted. We could tweak it to have that intranet feel, 
of language for our employees. And now all of a sudden, that time suck task just turned into something very practical and easy that allows the team to focus on strategy while communication becomes a lever. So the future of AI is super exciting to me. And I look forward to the day you and I don't have to do executive summaries. We can just copy and paste the minute notes and see it spit out some for us. And we can also begin to focus on the other kinds of tasks that matter most to our business value. Absolutely. Well, I love to connect offline on this as well, because we need to get some generative AI. Yeah, we could talk all day about compliance (laughs) side, you know, gap analysis of AI. There's also performance side, there's stakeholder management. There's so much more to AI than just the reporting side, but that's a little flavor of where the future is going. Well, finally, before we go to the hot seat, let's turn to the nomenclature surrounding ESG. In this discussion, I've used ESG and sustainability interchangeably. You know, increasingly many folks find the ESG acronym at the same time confusing and sometimes polarizing. So should we be using a different term, whether it's sustainability or impact or or both, when we refer to these reporting and other initiatives that do identify risks and opportunities and generate value on the basis of environmental, social and governance concerns? Yeah. You know, I think one is you have to think about it from globally. So we're going to have a global context or agreement like tax, but it's going to be localized. Language is going to be the same way. So we struggle in this balance of sustainability may be more used holistically for ESG in the European market. LATAM, it flexes depending where you are in LATAM. APEC is still working on that language development of sustainability in some countries, yes, and others, no. In the U.S., you use the term and most people think environment. But when you say ESG, they think more holistically. So as we navigate this, let's look ahead to the next three years. And I love what you said about the word impact. We have to remember that this is about dual impact, double impact on society and business. So I'm seeing more people lean into impact because that's also where the global regulation alignment will be in the Super Bowl year of 2025 and 2026. I'm also seeing very progressive CFOs and very interesting teams cross-functionally or together forming around sustainable finance. And I think that's something that we can think about is when we're talking about the sustainability of an organization, we're talking about sustainable financing, responsible financing. And when we're talking about society, our capital has the opportunity to create sustainability. In order for us to meet the SDGs, where Kiva is a member of the CFO for the UN SDGs, really looking at this idea of like to meet the SDGs, private sector has to step up. And you know this from your work at at your organization. They have to make those financial investments in order for us to have a sustainable impact. And so I think sustainable finance is something we're going to see really take off in the next several years as we look to the future. Well, thank you very much, Mandy. We're almost done. But first, we have the hot seat. So we ask you for your immediate reactions to the following statements. One thing I've changed my mind on is... I'm going to take a term from one of our founders. And I, I came to Workiva because I just loved his style around this. It was leaders own failure, success is owned by the team. And I used to think accountability was owned by everyone. And it really, when I came to Workiva, it just 
culturally really made me realize how much that is true. And everyone wants to be on a winning team, a positive team, but you got to own the failures so that you can all move forward. But what happens is everyone then takes accountability, right? And so I used to think everyone takes accountability, but as a leader, if you take accountability of the failure, then everyone starts to step up and take accountability. So I've really changed my mind and my approach on that since working with one of our founders. I love that mantra. Next one, when I need to recharge, I... I wake up without an alarm very early for everyone that knows me. I do that. And I'm an introvert at heart, but I'm very extroverted in my role for work. So I take really spiritual time, reflection time in the morning, really seriously setting the tone of gratitude and prayerful gratitude with my cup of coffee and using that to fuel what I need to get through the day. I'm also a morning person and more of an introvert. So yeah, there you go. <laughs> the commonalities to those of us in the field. You produce a weekly podcast, ESG Talk, which is very good. In addition to all your other responsibilities that we've talked about a bit earlier. So what is the key ingredient to your productivity is? Well, I, you know, it's all a team sport. You know, there's engineers behind the recording engineers as we have today. And Lauren, who's on the call. So I always have to say the team definitely is key. But I would say more than anything, prep. You know, you may not be the smartest person in the room, but preparation is key for preparation plus opportunity. And when you're prepared, you're ready for opportunity. Cy Wakeman used to say, change is only hard for the unready. So be ready. And I think that preparation makes productivity possible. Another great mantra. I want my kids to know. I say this to my daughter when I drop her off every morning and let the spirit help you be kind, gracious, and wise. Hmm, that's lovely. You've spent a lot of time. Did you actually grow up in Iowa? I've lived all over. So I lived in Flint, Michigan, Scranton, Pennsylvania, before the office. Nobody knew what that was. Cincinnati, <laughs> Kentucky area, then Iowa, then Iowa. Okay, but you have spent a lot of time yes. in Iowa. And so what would you say is the most underrated part of the state? Okay, so we have, I'm a biker. I love to bike. And we have this awesome bike ride across Iowa. It's an entire week. It's called Ragbri. It's 400 some miles or 500 miles pending the route. It changes route every day. It is incredible to see the farmland, the small communities to like the bigger towns, or I call the bigger cities pending where you've lived in life. But that way of really people opening up their homes and also like there is nothing like our biking trail system. There's a 16-mile loop trail near one of our house area, and you just get out and go. But if you live in a backcountry area, you can, like, get out and go for 20 miles, and you only see, like, one car. So our biking culture is unreal. That's lovely. Awesome. Okay, well, finally, to me, climate positive means... Transparency plus accuracy equals positive impact. Excellent. Excellent. This has been really fun, Mandy. Thank you so much for joining us. And again, you have your own podcast called ESG Talk that we encourage everyone to check out as well. Really appreciate your time today and look forward to staying in touch. Likewise, Chad. Thanks everyone for tuning in. It was a great time together. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please leave us a rating and review on Apple and Spotify. This really helps us reach more listeners. You can also let us know what you thought via Twitter at ClimatePosiPod or email us at climatepositive at I'm Chad Reed, and this is Climate Positive.